Hey guys. Okay. I realize you're not listening to this in August, but I'm recording this in August of 2023, right after the super blue moon. It was like super cool. We had two full moons in the same month. It's been like really powerful. And so as I'm recording this episode, I'm actually drinking my moon water. And you're like, what? what is moon water? Well, essentially, you can charge or supercharge your water and set intentions by putting filtered water into like a mason jar, something that the light can penetrate, and then setting it out in the moonlight. And that can be any moonlight, but I chose the super blue moon, double moon moonlight. And I am drinking this morning the charged water of my intentions. And my intentions for the rest of this year are on clarity. So there's a lot of things that I'm seeking clarity on. And I was wondering what you are seeking clarity on. Feel free to always jump over and DM me on Instagram. You can send me an email at hello at birthstory.com. I would love to have you in Birthstory Academy. You can interact with me in our Facebook group there. That's the best way to chat. Um, But I just really want to tap into this community a little bit more and see what you're getting clarity on. And I don't even know what I'm getting clarity on. I just like ask the universe for clarity, just like overarching theme of life. So our guest today, I feel like is one of those people in my life who has a lot of clarity and she's very organized and she's very simple and um, not simple like boring, but like simple like put together. (laughs) And I was her doula and I loved being her doula. And she hired me after having an experience with her first and then becoming pregnant again and really wanting to do this like unmedicated hypnobirthing thing. And she was like very dedicated. And I mean like down to like scrapbooks, um, visioning boards, and then like Canva gorgeous birth plan templates, which you can download on Etsy and we'll give you all the information in this episode. So Happy super blue moon, even though you're going to listen to this episode long after it's gone, but maybe receive the next full moon by making your moon water, setting an intention, and like sitting back and listening to the birth story podcast. All right, let's get to it. Let's get into this little hypno birding thing today. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does the day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, 
you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. So like, let's say you're pregnant. That's why you're listening to the birth story podcast and you're preparing for a hospital birth that's upcoming. And of course, this podcast gives you tons of free information, right? But like, do you really understand the stages of labor? How to know when you're in labor? What if you have to have an induction? What about a cesarean section? What about all of the decisions that you have to make once you get to the hospital? So you get there and then they put you in triage. Birth Story Academy walks you through all the things that happen, like that rapid fire with like monitoring and blood work and questions and IV ports and do you want an epidural? I don't know. Do you? In Birth Story Academy, we literally break down all of those decisions pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuition. And like we get into it. We make birth plans. We do birth visions. We listen to birth affirmations and parenting affirmations. And at the end of it, like you know exactly what's going to happen when you go into labor and when you get to the hospital. What's going to happen after you give birth? Newborn care preferences. How to take care of your baby. So I guess what I'm getting at is... If you're not in Birth Story Academy, what's your plan, right? Like, I want to be your teacher. I want you to come join me in Birth Story Academy and let me walk you through all of the decisions that you have to make if you're having a hospital birth and how to have body autonomy and how to have informed consent and informed refusal. I'm going to teach you and your partner, if you have one, everything that you need to know about birthing in a hospital so that you can walk in that door with some swagger, with some confidence Like wash that anxiety away because you learned everything you needed to learn in Birth Story Academy and you are ready to crush that birth, right? Okay, let's do it. And let's get to this episode. Hey girl, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How's it going? Hey, it's going good. I'm happy to be here. Yay. So you guys, this is Teresa. She's one of my doula clients. And we're going to be talking about a lot of fun stuff today, including two birth stories, cerclage, hypnobirthing, uh, I don't know, delivering on your hands and knees, partners catching, organization. I don't know. There's just so much really good stuff to learn from you. And so I'm happy that you agreed to be on the podcast, Teresa. Very rarely, as you know, do I have my own clients come on. So when I do, it's because I really, really want to teach this broader audience about some things they may not have heard about, specifically cerclages um, and hypnobirthing. So ready to get started? I'm ready. Okay. So, Teresa, I want you to start at the beginning when I wasn't your doula. (laughs) Tell me about your very first um, experience with pregnancy, labor, and delivery. So my first experience was with my now six-year-old son, Roman, and it was quite a different experience. I would say I was still kind of crunchy at that time. But I just was not aware of all the ins and outs of like pregnancy and birth as as being a young first time mom. So with Roman, I did go about finding a birth center 
and it was really nice. They actually closed down here in Charlotte. It used to be baby and co. Mm -hmm. So I went with them and I was, I was really excited, but I was really missing like the mental preparation. Um, I was excited to have an unmedicated natural birth. And that was my goal personally. And I felt that the team was supportive, but I was missing the mental strength to be able to do that as much as I was like, this is my plan. So that's why I ended up going with hypno babies in the second pregnancy with Roman. My first, I was a, what was it? The Bradley method. Mm -hmm. So I ended up going with the Bradley method with my first son. And I felt like they did such a good job at like going over all the ins and outs of pregnancy and how to have an unmedicated childbirth. But again, it was really missing that mental strength component. How am I going to have a powerful birth if I don't feel powerful? Even if I know it's X, Y, Z, I'm not feeling it. I'm not embodying it. So that part to me, like left me feeling scary. And I was kind of just like, well, this is what I want. So I guess I'm going to do it, which left a lot up to chance, which I guess childbirth kind of is that way anyways. But, um, with my second, oh, well, let me finish. So with Roman, I ended up going into labor um, in the morning and, you know, I called my doula or I called my midwife, excuse me. I did not have a doula at this time. So it was just my uh, boyfriend at the time, Roman and I. So we went over. Big Roman, you guys. So Roman, the boyfriend, and also Roman, little Roman is the first four. <laughs> Yes. When we go back Thank and you. forth between the Romans, <laughs> Roman one, Roman two. <laughs> yes. So big Roman and I went over to the birth center and she did a vaginal exam, checked my cervix. I was still pretty early. I mean, contractions had just started, but I, I was scared. I was like, whoa, this is not what I expected. As much as I had learned about it, I again was just not mentally prepared so did you have that, your like Bradley chart open at least to be like, I didn't. Okay. Cause I, you know, I'm very well studied in Bradley and I studied Bradley and I did Bradley myself. You know, there are these uh, stages of labor charts. We have one in birth story Academy also that really help you decide what stage of labor you're at based on your signs and symptoms. So you took all the information that you learned in Bradley and just decided to ignore it. Mm -hmm. and let fear take over, which is totally normal yes. for a first time person <laughs> giving birth. It's like, oh, I did all of that. And then I'm just going to ignore it. Um, and you went to the birth center in what we would call maybe early labor or even prodromal labor. And so did they tell you to go home? <laughs> Pretty much. She let me labor there for about an hour. And I was having my bloody show. So she was pretty sure I was in actual labor, but I, it was so intense. And I now know that I was having back labor and it was so intense that I was like, the baby has to be coming because what I remember from learning in my Bradley classes that this intense, this close together, nonstop breaks meant baby is coming. It's go time. So I'm like, there's no way I'm going home when the um, midwife came back over and she was like, all right, I'm going to just say it's time to go home. We're going to probably see you back here at around 11 PM. And it's one o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, hell no, I abandoned all hope. 
I said to Roman, I was like, I'm getting a C-section. Take me to the hospital right now. And the midwife was like, calm down. It's okay. Why don't you, how about we just go over to the hospital and we just talk about an epidural. Let's start there before we just go full blown (laughs) C-section. So I was like, okay, just get like, I'm not going home is what I'm getting to. So we get in the car, go over to the hospital. The midwife gets us in there very quickly and I'm admitted. And again, I am in constant, um, a constant state of fear and anxiety at this point, because I'm having nonstop contractions. So I'm having nonstop contractions. I'm getting no relief, no in-betweens. Finally, they approve me for an epidural. I can barely get a sentence out. They're asking me to like sign papers and they're asking me my name and my birthday. I, I'm like hunched over, like grabbing my belly. I have completely fallen into the abyss of tunnel vision and and in Bradley they really don't teach about optimal fetal positioning right so like I love all things Bradley but Bradley isn't spinning babies Bradley isn't a doula Bradley doesn't just suddenly turn men women and partners of all kinds into doulas right and so I think that's the hard part when I hear these stories like yours, Teresa, is like you've got all the training for like an ideal LOA positioned baby. But like, what if you have an anxiety attack? What if you are afraid? What if you have a malpositioned baby? Then what are your tools and who's helping you? So I think that spiral that you are experiencing with big Roman by your side was like pretty normal for the situation that you were in. Absolutely. And you're right. I would have benefited from having somebody know about positioning and, you know, spinning the baby so that I can get out of that constant state of pressure and um, pain. I don't like to use the word pain, but it was, it was pain in my back. So once I did get the epidural, I, it was like a complete 360. I calmed down 100%. I almost felt silly for how erratic I was acting. It was like, it was laughable after that. And then I did like, my intention was to have an unmedicated birth. And part of me felt disappointed, even though a birth, no matter what, whether it's a C-section or with an epidural is so powerful. Like you're a mother, you just carried a baby, like bravo to you. But I let my own, like, I don't know, stereotype of what I expected my birth to look like block what in reality, what actually is a childbirth. So I had felt disappointed with myself and I tried to stick to as natural as possible. So I wasn't allowing vaginal checks. I didn't press like the button to continue to feed the epidural. I kind of wanted to just take the edge off so that when it was time to push, I at least had some semblance of control. Mm -hmm. And by 8 a.m. I was pushing. And again, I was able to like feel it and I felt the ring of fire, but it took the edge off for me. And that was important in that childbirth. And at 8.36, Roman was born and on my chest. And that was about? 24 hours after the onset of your symptoms, which you ran to the birth center very quickly at 1 p.m. were 
you know, were was definitely struggling. And then the next day, I mean, they were correct when they said, we'll see you back at around 11 p.m. And then, you know, you have hard labor, then you have transition, then you have pushing. You were able to do some of that with that epidural. But for the audience, it's very important to hear Teresa's story is not unique. The average length of labor is 24 hours. So you, the, the clients that I think stress me out the most are when like the labor begins, like Teresa's did, <laughs> and they're like, oh, I'm going to have a baby on the side of the road. Like, this is happening very quickly. And I'm like, oh, Lord, nothing in birth really happens quickly. I mean, when it does, it's it's very rare. So I really do like everyone to have that mindset for their first birth. For the, It's much quicker on your second. But for your first birth, a full scope of 24 hours. Um, I had a question about like Roman's preparation with you for, for your first birth, because Bradley is, is partner coached childbirth essentially. And you were changing your mind, right? Like, was he kind of just like, go with the flow? Like, sure, babe, you're changing your mind. (laughs) Or did he like, you know, what was that conversation like with Roman? Like, did he even care you were getting an epidural? Like, you know, or was he like, you do you, you know? Oh, so that's so funny. So I'm a type A person. So I like to be in control. I like to have a plan. Roman is my B. So he's following the plan. And so the entire time we're doing our Bradley classes, I'm telling him, and they're saying in the class, like, you really got to be the rock. It, when your partner, and they're going to say it, wants to have an alternative method, so an epidural, or they want to run to the hospital, you got really got to like remind them of why they chose this path. So when I went and told Roman, take me to the hospital, I'm having a C-section, he looked petrified. He was, I like, I scared him beyond belief because he just stared with me at me with open eyes, blank stare, and he's like, with a whisper, he's like, are you, are you sure this, this wasn't the plan? (laughs) And I was like, death stare, like, take me to the hospital. Um, so he quickly renegotiated whatever he thought he was going to do and did what I said. Um, which I mean, he supported his partner the best way he knew how that's, that's what you do when you're in these situations. Yes, you can remind your partner of the plan and that's great. But if you see that your partner is going a different route and really needs that to be respected, it honestly would have hurt me more than helped me if Roman would have hindered me from going to the hospital. Cause in that mental state, I needed a hospital and I needed that support. Yeah. So now that the birth center in our area has closed down, um, I was just wondering, like, back then, was your midwife able to just sort of stay with you that entire time? Or did she need to get back to delivering babies at the birth center? Like, did your did your care have to get transferred um, to a different practice? Or did, did you stay the course with your current team? No, unfortunately, I did have to switch teams. It was sad because I really did enjoy the midwives of Baby and Co. And a lot of them are actually still around Charlotte. So I'll tell you in my recent pregnancy that I got to see some of them. But with 
this pregnancy, um, I did have to switch care and I was put under a male doctor supervision, which in my birth plan, I had a female doctor and female team because that's what was at Baby and Co. Mm -hmm. And as a person who prefers women doctors anyway, that did leave me with a little bit of a disappointed taste in my mouth. Um, So it was unfortunate, but I did have to switch teams. Okay. Now, did you have a birth plan for, for switching? Like, okay, like, had you thought through, like, well, what if I was laboring at the birth center and I had to go to the hospital? Like, did you have a transfer care plan? Did you have a hospital plan? Did you have a birth plan? Did you have anything like that that you had prepared through Bradley to take with you? I didn't have a second plan because I was so set on plan A that plan B was not an option to me. I was like, this is what is happening. This is the plan. So I later learned that it's important to have a plan B and planning, even though it might not go to plan, it's important to have those in place because anything can happen. Yeah, it is so true. But it does still sound like you know, if your plan had been to birth at the hospital all along and to get an epidural all along, it it ended up being a pretty kind of lovely epidural birthing <laughs> experience. It just wasn't the experience that you had laid out or planned out. Yes. Um, so, um, so in the time following uh, little Roman's birth, how did you process some of that, you know, grief? Like how... What did your self-talk look like? How did you kind of pull yourself out of it to get into a positive place again? Yeah, so after following the birth, I did feel disappointed because my birth plan, my birth plan did not go as planned in my mind. So I remember my Bradley coach reaching out to ask if the baby had been born and she would like post them to her Facebook page And I was so ashamed of myself that I just said, yes, the baby has been born. And I sent her a picture and the date and time and the weight. And that was it. And she had responded asking like, what was your birth plan or what was your labor and delivery like? And I was so embarrassed that I didn't even tell her I had an epidural. I just didn't respond to the message because I just felt so ashamed. So I kind of hid it. For a while because I didn't want to talk about it because I had told everybody and was so adamant like I'm going with a birth center because I want to have an unmedicated birth and you know in my mind I'm this warrior I'm so strong I can do anything and then to myself I like proved myself wrong I was like I'm not a warrior I'm not this so my self-talk was really negative after birth for a while and then it's, I, I did go through a spiral of postpartum anxiety and depression. Okay. So once I started getting help for that, I think it really flipped the script for me. I started to recognize my birth and my experience as being powerful and whether or not it was the way that I wanted it to go or not. I carried a baby for nine months. I birthed a baby. I took care of this newborn And I survived it. And that itself is so powerful. And I have so much respect for my mom and just women in general who have done the exact same thing because it's just such an accomplishment to just even get that far. 
Mm-hmm. It is so hard. Now, tell me about your lifestyle back then, because I know how your lifestyle is now. But like you said, you had a lot of postpartum anxiety and depression. But were you exercising? Were you fueling your body with proper nutrition? Were you hydrating? Were you going to therapy? Like, what were you doing for self care as a new parent? So I was definitely basing my guidelines off of being a new parent on movies. (laughs) So pounding coffee, staying up all late, not trying to get any sleep, um, really not doing any self-care, you know, like all the stuff you see in the movie of like a first time mom struggling. And I'm like, that's just the, what it is. I just, that's the lifestyle now. I, I can't remember showering. Not that I like didn't, but like, it definitely wasn't a daily thing. Um, I ended up starting to wear big Roman's clothes because why put on my own and like down to the socks, like pants, shirt. And so I am a size small. He is a 2XL, if that gives you any indication of what I look like wearing this man's clothes. <laughs> um, so yeah, not showering, wearing my own clothes, putting my hair up in a bun, Um pounding coffee, not getting any sleep. I definitely was not exercising at all. I don't even think I got out of the house to do walks. I think I got in the backyard for like maybe some sun time, but because of the postpartum anxiety and uh, depression, I just really felt like scared. Like I had so much fear of just going out of the house. I felt again, disappointed in myself. I didn't really want to show anyone like disappointing I was. Yeah. So what changed? Because the Teresa I met was like the total opposite of that was like (laughs) super strong, female empowerment, very healthy, great sleep habits, great food habits, great exercise habits, like really um, a high achiever and a high performer at work, super organized. So like, (laughs) you know, there's not that much time between these two pregnancies, but like, what do you think really changed between that moment of like bun on top of your head, pounding coffee, wearing big Roman's clothes, being, you know, just really truly suffering from anxiety and depression to like the just total opposite of that with your, next pregnancy kind of what where did the change occur so my first son is now six my youngest child is one and a half so over a six-year period I've really tapped into my resources like I told you I was like didn't want to see anybody I completely closed down but really once I got help for my anxiety and depression I was able to like kind of see past the clouds I was able to start going to my family and being like hey This is how I'm feeling. And instead of being met with the fearful, oh, wow, ew, I don't want to be around that. Like you're a dark cloud, clouding up my, you know, rays of sunshine. They were like, oh, wow. You know, sometimes I feel like that too. How can I support you? And that was just a game changer. I think asking for help can be so scary, Mm -hmm. but when you're met and you have your needs seen, it's it's eye-opening. It's like, why didn't I just like say something before? Why was I afraid? Because why would my own family like turn their back on me? Why would my friends turn their back on me? They're there because they love me and care about me. So over the last six years, I'd say opening up to my friends and family about how I'm feeling or the help and support that I need. Um, finding myself 
is in tapping into nature and whether that's like going outside for a walk or like sitting in the sun, but also like nature is in like what you're putting in your body. Mm-hmm. I started to slowly go gluten and dairy free, which was a big game changer in what I was putting in my body because I have PCOS. So I had struggled with a lot of inflammation. It took me a very long time to even get pregnant with Roman. So once I started recognizing how important it is, the nutrition that is going into my body, I was able to kind of like pay more attention to my mind at that point as well. So like my stomach's not hurting, you know, my bathroom habits are more regular because that can be like, like relieving your toxins out of your body can be a big reason why a person is feeling stressed or anxious. Mm -hmm. So that was a big one for me starting to eliminate toxins. Um, A big one for me too, was kind of finding my community. I did start going to church and I joined a woman's group there. Mm -hmm. It was amazing to have the support of so many women and like mother figures And I didn't have that at the time because my mom was going through some personal um, health issues. So having women around to support me and be there for me and encourage me or, you know, give me tips, just somebody I could lean on was really rewarding in itself. Yeah. So when you got pregnant again, was this a planned pregnancy? Were you like, I really want to have another baby? Like, I think this is the time I'm feeling healthy and strong. Or were you like, well, I guess we're doing this. How did that go conversation or what did that look like your pregnancy? So with my second child, no, there was no plan, but right. Or I would say a year before I did have a pregnancy that was planned. So we had started planning in December and we were going to have another baby. And we were so excited because we didn't do that with our first, not, not that it was an accident, but we were surprised to find out we were pregnant with Roman, but this time we were planning and like right on cue, I was following my ovulation. I was following, you know, the dates and I took my pregnancy test and it was positive and I knew it would be. So we were really excited. And unfortunately, that pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. And that is what sent me on my cerclage journey. Okay. So let's simmer there for a minute. How many weeks gestation were you when you miscarried? It was 15 weeks. So it was considered a late miscarriage. Mm -hmm. Which is really far. Your chances of miscarriage at 15 weeks are something crazy, like less than a half a percent, you know? So um, how did you know? Did you start bleeding? Did you go in for a a test? Like, um, how did you learn that the the pregnancy wasn't continuing? So this happened in March. So it was right around the time of COVID. So we were just starting to, you know, hear about things. And so the fear factor was a little bit up. So it happened on a Friday. Big Roman had just left town to go help my brother in Virginia. So he's about six hours away. I'm home with our, at the time, three-year-old 
and it's just me and him. And I start experiencing symptoms on a Friday and it started out very mild. I think I was just having some like discharge that looked different and it was maybe tinged pink. So I ended up calling the nurse hotline and they started asking me questions that went a little bit deeper. Well, is it chunky? Are there clots? Okay. Well, if anything worsens, call us back. So as the day and the weekend progressed, I was calling back maybe once or twice a day to be like, hey, now I'm having this symptom that you mentioned on your last call. And again, I felt like they kept giving me the same exact answer. Well, if it gets to be golf sized, golf ball sized clots, call back. And again, just everything kept getting worse. I ended up getting a fever Sunday night and I ended up calling Roman, big Roman's mother to come take care of our three-year-old because I just couldn't. I was like, it felt like I had the flu. I was out for the count. It came on very quickly and suddenly. And so I ended up going to bed and I woke up in the morning feeling completely fine. And because I was calling all over the weekend, the nurse hotline, they did end up scheduling an ultrasound for me that Monday morning. So since I didn't have a fever, I was feeling fine. I went in for my ultrasound. They did a vaginal or transvaginal ultrasound where that's when they take the wand and they like go inside Mm -hmm. to like look at your cervix and baby. So they examined everything. The baby was fine. The heartbeat was fine, but they did notice that the cervix looked short. She said that they wanted to see me back in about a week to see if it shortens anymore. And then they would talk about if it was shortening preventative measures. So actually felt really happy when I left the appointment. I I ended up calling like my family. I called Big Rome and I was like, hey, everything is fine. The baby is okay. My cervix might be short, but they want to see me back in a week. So Big Roman is home at this time. Again, I don't have any more flu symptoms, quote unquote flu symptoms. I go home and then the next morning I wake up and we're currently working from home at this point because of COVID. So I'm on my computer in the living room and I start getting these like really bad back cramps, kind of like when you're starting to get your period or maybe if you have to like use the restroom. And I was kind of like, oh, I'm kind of uncomfortable. I'm on a work meeting, but I like power through it. After my work call, maybe it's that my by my mind and body like knew that we just need to like release, like it got like amplified times 10. I was in labor now that I realized, but I was like toppled over again with these contraction pains. I didn't know what was going on. It was way more intense than a period. It was, it was contractions. So I woke big Roman up because it was like pretty early. It was like 9 a.m., Woke Big Roman up, called my grandfather. He ended up rushing over and taking me to the hospital. And I get there. They immediately get me back into a room. I wasn't having any bleeding, but I was having this severe cramping. They did an ultrasound, kind of just acting like everything was normal. I didn't feel any sort of urgency by the staff. But they put a bedpan under me because I did start bleeding. And it was quite a bit of blood. And they didn't tell me anything, but they kind of just let me have a miscarriage. And it was really sad because I was kind of just hoping that they could save the baby at 15 weeks. Like 
put it under, I don't know the ins and outs of that, but like put it under a heat lamp, put a respirator. Like, I don't know, like how can we save this baby is what I was like processing in my mind. And I wasn't allowed to have anybody back there because it was COVID. So I was like scared. And then I feel the, the baby, the pregnancy expel. And that's just when I lost it. And finally they let big Roman come back and we were able to like grieve together. And it was, it was very sad and upsetting, but honestly, once that happened, the hospital staff was very like warm and, you know, gave me their personal condolences. And even the doctor like told me his personal experience with pregnancy loss and how common it is. And we just, as a society, don't like to talk about it because it's scary and it's unsettling and nobody wants to think about losing a baby, a child, a pregnancy. So you really don't have the resources until it happens. Yeah. And in your case, it wasn't a missed miscarriage, right? Like it was a miscarriage. Your body went into labor. Um, your body did expel whatever language you use, the baby, the tissue, you know, the clots um, from your body. How did they, like, after, like, it was, you knew, like, the, everything had passed, right? Because the contractions typically then slow and then stop. Um, how did they help you control the bleeding? I actually don't remember them helping me to control the bleeding. I think once the pregnancy had passed, again, like you said, the cramps stopped, the pain discomfort all stopped. They told me for pain, I could probably just take ibuprofen. They, I, because I didn't lose so much blood, I don't think they were worried about potential of hemorrhage. Okay. And did they need to do an ultrasound before you went home to make sure that you had passed everything or did they, they just did. trust that it had passed? They did not. They just trust that it did pass. And actually when I got home immediately, I got in the shower because, you know, at this point I'm kind of covered in dry blood. And while I was in the shower, the placenta actually came out. And I remember feeling a pressure like in my vagina. And I was like, oh, I kind of just freaked out. I was like, what is this? And then it just kind of like came out onto the shower floor and it was kind of a surreal moment that I just lost my pregnancy and now I have to like clean this up and it felt it like, it felt like my body portrayed me. And again, it like reminded me and brought me back to where I was three years prior where I disappointed myself. And why did my body do this? Like this wasn't the plan. For those of you listening, if you happen to suffer a miscarriage, I encourage you, if you seek medical help, to, you know, ask or advocate for a quick ultrasound to make sure that everything has passed. Um, often your body will take care of you and will pass the baby, will pass the placenta, will pass all the clots, will pass all the tissue. But sometimes there is a missed miscarriage or like where nothing comes out and your body doesn't let go. And then sometimes your body lets go of some, but will have some retained 
tissue, which can cause you to continue to cramp and continue to bleed and or have a traumatic experience in the shower at home, you know, or over the toilet or at back at work. Um, and then there are medications that they can give you, right? Like side attack. There are pain medications that are stronger than ibuprofen if you need them. Um, and of course, rest, right? Teresa, you just needed abundant rest after that. Hydration. Yes. To be alone. Hydration, eating, being left alone, um, you know, being checked on too. There's nothing like a friend or a family member just being like, how are you? Like no expectation for you to say I'm good. But I do wish that the hospital staff or even my OBGYN gave me a little more guidance in that sense. And I wish I would have known to ask for it a little bit better. I was just confused. It was COVID. They didn't even want to see me in the office. They were like, are you okay? Okay. Well, we don't really need to see you in the office then. So I did feel that I didn't have the support in a sense of like, what do I do after a miscarriage? And because your body is still tired, your hormones are still now fluctuating. Just same after you gave birth, your hormones are trying to regulate back to normal. You're bleeding. You're tired. I remember trying to go on a walk and feeling exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I was like, do I need an iron supplement? Like, I don't know. So I think if I could say anyone who has experienced this or might be going through it, like get in contact with your doctor and find out what can you do post miscarriage that can help better your life? Yeah. Hemoglobin, ferritin, your iron stores, all of those things can cause us when they're low to be short of breath and to be exhausted. Your body is also going into heal and response and repair mode. And that takes a lot of energy and effort too. Um, yeah, we just really need to do a better job in this world um, supporting people through their miscarriages. And and just agree. You sharing your story just has the opportunity to help, you know, someone else, um, especially because of the reason for, you know, well, I mean, I can't definitively say the reason for your miscarriage, but maybe one of the causes of your miscarriage would have been like what we would have called like a, would they give you a definition like incompetent cervix or like, you know, thinning cervix or, you know, something like that. But Teresa, there's one thing that you said that I have to go back to when you were like in your in triage, like so many women and you're at that point where you're not 27 weeks gestation or 25 weeks gestation and like and there really is no help like they can't stop it they can't birth the the um the baby is just too young is too fragile for the science that we have in our lives today um and we don't know right like what if they had treated your cervix at the the day before right with like a surclage or progesterone or you know supplements we there's no way to know that that would have changed an outcome either um but I just want to acknowledge what you were feeling is like that it's a really terrible feeling when we're super helpless 
and like no one's <laughs> no one can save you <laughs> you know yes and it was it was I felt scared and like I said like everyone was kind of just acting like it was a normal Tuesday I felt no sense of urgency from anyone else and that scared me too because I was like what are you guys doing how how are you going to help me how are you going to save my baby and I think they just they just knew that I was having a miscarriage and were just trying to be there in the act of support with providing me what I needed medically so while they were rock stars at doing that I felt kind of like alone and sad and like in the midst of COVID even more so right yeah um Teresa, I probably never shared my story with you about like the whole reason I'm a doula (laughs) was I got off the bus when I was 12 years old and I came into the bathroom and my mom was miscarrying one of my siblings and um, she was Mm -hmm. quite far along too, about 18 weeks. And I just remember like, You know, I remember that look on her face like that you're describing, like she's looking at me like a 12 year old, like, please help me, please make it stop, please, you know, and it's like the worst feeling in the world for those, for you, for the people that are around you, like that, the fragility of life and how much we're not in control of, um, And we just want pain and grief and like our worst nightmare to go away. Like just fix it. Yes. And sometimes we have to go through these things and can't be saved from them. And it's, I don't know, I guess never just never gets easier. Um, But what came out of that loss for you? was education, empowerment, and advocacy to successfully carry another baby to term. And so um, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about like getting pregnant again with, of course, this like giant fear right? Like, (laughs) why was my cervix thinning at 16 weeks? Why did I lose our baby? Like, and how is my body that I don't trust that you said, you know, you kind Mm -hmm. of lost that trust in your body? Like, how is my body going to do this? So like, can you just share a little bit about um, your next experience? Yes. And so I actually had just moved out of my house. I was now living with my aunt. And so when I found out I was pregnant, it was very unexpected. Our previous home had black mold. So we needed to get out of there immediately. So we found out and three days later, we were out of the house. So about two weeks into living with my aunt, I find out that I'm pregnant and we weren't trying. And we had talked about maybe again, trying in another year. And so to my surprise, I was pregnant and I wasn't prepared mentally, physically. I felt again, like my body had betrayed me. How am I going to carry this child? My fear was 
through the roof. So, and this was in August of 2021. And my miscarriage was March 17th, 2020. And so March 17th, March 17th is an important date and I'll get to why that is. But so I started the conversation immediately with my OB. They usually don't even look at cervix until maybe your anatomy scan, because if you're going to have a miscarriage, it's going to be in those early weeks. Although a miscarriage at 15 weeks is way less common. And that's why it's considered a late miscarriage. But, um, so I started the conversation early. The OBGYN sent me to the specialist. We started having the conversation of what a cerclage would look like. And at this point, I think I'm about 11 weeks. And at that appointment too, I was surprised that they don't actually measure the cervix at the specialist. They check the baby. They make sure the cervix is intact, but they don't measure it they gave me the choice that said it's intact. Do you want a surplage or would you like to wait? And because I've already experienced this, I was like, no way. I, I have to have a surplage. I'm not going to go through a loss again. I'm so scared. I, I just knew that that was the route that I was going to go, even though who, who isn't afraid to have surgery, right? Right. Like that's never like, yeah, let's have surgery. How do you know? Yeah. Oh, I know. So for everyone that has no idea what a cerclage is, could you just give a little bit more information on cerclage and kind of what that procedure was like, what it felt like? Yes, absolutely. So a cervical cerclage, also known as a cervical stitch, is a treatment for cervical weakness. And it means when cervical weakness or cervical incompetence, as you said earlier, Heidi, it's when the cervix starts to shorten or open up too early during pregnancy, either causing a late miscarriage or even a preterm birth. So you can see why that can be very important and a very essential procedure. So the actual procedure is an outpatient procedure. It's relatively quick. Sorry, it's relatively quick. Um, I was blessed to have an awesome team of women in mine. I was at the hospital at maybe eight in the morning, and I would say I was going home by two. So, you know, morning to afternoon. The procedure, they go through all like the rundown of like, this is what it's going to look like. The doctor was awesome. She came in and spoke with me personally. She explained the entire procedure to me. Finally, I'm being wheeled back into the surgical room, procedure area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Sometimes they do it in the operating room at the hospital too. That's what it is. Thank you. Okay. So (laughs) they wheeled me back to the operating room and I'm awake the entire time. This is not an anesthesia surgery. This is a spinal block surgery. So a spinal block is a little bit different than an epidural in the sense of pain relief. So a spinal block is total pain relief and an epidural is partial pain relief. Mm -hmm. So I received a spinal block. So my entire hips from my feet were numb. And I remember looking, so I'm laying on this bed. They put like a curtain up, kind of like how you see in like the movies. And I remember looking beyond the curtain and seeing my legs hoisted up into these um, rings. What are they called? Yeah, rings, these like 
intense stirrups, right? Yes. That are like hanging, are used to the stirrups. They're hanging from the ceiling and like hilariously I want to make like some like sex room joke you know what I mean but it's like it's so like you're like what is this yeah but they're to support their leg supports essentially so that they can then use a speculum to open your vagina and get really good access to your cervix Yes. And so your entire butt is lifted off of the bed. Your legs are in these stirrups that are again, hanging from the ceiling and you don't feel anything. You may feel some pressure, but there's no pain. And what's awesome is like, there is a team of people around you. They're very respectful that this might be scary for you. One person sat by my husband and talked to me and just kept my mind busy. She was very kind. The doctor also walked through what she was doing, um, which helped guide me because I'd like to know when this is going to be over pretty much. Okay. It's in, we're, we're going to start tidying up now. So the actual procedure was maybe 40 minutes long. And then, you know, they took me out of the stirrups. They sent me to the recovery room. And within two hours I was going home. The recovery was pretty light. Um, I would say light duty for 10 days and I did experience light bleeding to light spotting, but it was all within a normal range. Okay. Now, did they prescribe any sort of hormones like the progesterone cream or estrogen, anything to thicken the cervix? They did offer the progesterone in the beginning before I even had the surgery, but I did say I wanted to wait on progesterone. I was worried personally because of my PCOS that I already have hormonal imbalances that I didn't want to add another hormonal component to my hormonally chaotic body already. Okay. Yeah. See how smart you are, Teresa, with your advocacy of your body. It's amazing. Yes. So they, um, you know, essentially they've closed the cervix with a, maybe it's like a cool looking, I don't know how to loop de loop you know stitches it's like in it's a figure eight figure eight yeah I was like loop-de-loop yes figure eight (laughs) stitch and um and then and then what do they tell you just go about your life you know go about your pregnancy and we'll take it out when when did they want to remove it yes so pretty much you leave and it depends on the severity like if my cervix was already short I would have had a higher risk pregnancy so I might have been on bed rest which some women are Mine, since my cervix was closed at the time, they did say, go about your normal life. You do need to take it light. So there's no heavy lifting. I wouldn't exercise beyond what you've already been doing, which for me was pretty light at the time. So I was able to maintain a somewhat normal lifestyle, although I just felt like I even took it easier on myself because I was so afraid of losing this pregnancy that instead of lifting 20, I might've lifted five to 10 pounds. So I did lose a bit of muscle during this nine month pregnancy, but I'm sorry, what was your other question, Heidi? Well, now I don't really know. (laughs) Hold on. I was thinking, oh yeah. When did they want to have you to, to, when did they want you to come back to take it out? Was the second part of it. Like go about, go about life. Like what I'm trying to get at is like, you like they do this thing and it's really big and you have this history of um a a significant loss and then they're like okay bye (laughs) right like 
I mean, really, what was the plan, essentially? Yes. So with having cerclage, they wanted to see me back at 36 weeks for removal. But between then, I did have appointments every two weeks. And then I had, a, and that's just with the specialist. So I still had my regular OB appointment. Then I saw the specialist every two weeks. And then I was seeing the specialist once a month. So I had a lot of appointments. So I did feel like I got the care I needed and it really helped me take back my advocacy piece. So I was not afraid to ask questions. I was not afraid to advocate for me or my baby. Like if I had a question, I was going to ask it. I don't care if the doctor was starting to get up to walk out of the room. I wasn't done asking a question. Sorry. Do you have a few minutes? You know? So like, I really spoke up for myself, but at 36 weeks, they wanted to see me back. And because I really wanted to have a full-term pregnancy. And a lot of the times, once you take a cerclage out, you're baby can come within 24 to 48 hours. So I pushed it to 37 weeks, which Heidi was with me, which was wonderful. She was my support person. It was. Um, Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) I had seen the placement of a cerclage, but I hadn't seen the removal. Um, I'll be honest. I thought it was going to be a lot more than it was. They literally just (laughs) put you back in the stirrups, take the speculum, open till we can visualize the cervix and then just snip the literally snip the stitch and pull it out. (laughs) So it wasn't quite as complicated as I thought, but what was really cool because Teresa, the view I had that the Teresa didn't quite have that view was that the cervix was already starting to dilate a little bit. And that when they snipped the stitch, you just watch the cervix just instantly open. And um, and I remember the provider saying like, oh, you'll probably go into labor within like, I don't remember what she said. She said 48 hours. 48 hours. <laughs> and we're all like, oh, shit. Okay, we, we should go pack our bags. So that, yes. didn't, that didn't happen. So what did happen? No. <laughs> So first I do want to say, so I told you to remember that March 17th was the day of my miscarriage. So fun, like little, like full circle healing moment is March 17th, 2022 was the day that I got the cerclage removed. Wow. So for me, it felt really powerful to just be two years later after losing a pregnancy, after having struggled through pregnancy loss, after struggled through getting pregnant and like coming to terms with how am I going to keep this pregnancy learning to trust my body again and kind of just giving over to the divine. I was like, wow, full circle, March 17th, I am getting the cerclage out to birth my full term baby. So it was really like healing. St. Patrick's day. Like there's a lot of symbolism with March 17th also just with like the numbers, the date, the holiday, the uh, religious aspects of, of the day. So, yeah. Yes. I, so I thought that was very cool, but, um, what, what was your other question? I mean, we don't even have to, because I think this is awesome. It's like two moms in the morning, like what the hell are we talking about? Um, no, I think what, what we were going to next was like, like she says, 
okay, Teresa, I think you're going to go into labor in 48 hours. And so we're all like fucking panicked. We're like, oh, okay, well, yeah. I don't know if we're ready. Do we have the bags packed? Because it could be at any second because I literally watched your cervix go whoosh. And it was uh, three to four centimeters, I think, right? Um, yes. So it was about 70 to 80% thin and it was three to four centimeters dilated. And it was like, oh, okay, well, the hardest part of labor is over. Right. Getting to four centimeters, yes. <laughs> getting to four centimeters and like pretty thinned out. Um, so I think we departed and we just kind of made a plan like like um, call your doulas when you are in labor. Now, before we get to that moment, though, Teresa, before you get to that moment where you like what happened post surclage with the audience, we skipped over you decided to do the mental piece of going to hypno babies. So yes. do you just, can you just touch on that a little bit? Like once you accepted, okay, this pregnancy is viable. I didn't have a miscarriage. I've got the surclage. I'm carrying this baby to term. At some point you went into like super like Teresa mode, which is like type a very organized, all that research and you really started mentally preparing. Um, yes. And that's, so that's the piece I said that I was missing before. Like I know the ins and outs, I know the positions, but because I didn't have that mental strength at the time, it all went out the window and I kind of just like caved in on myself. I wanted to hide. So I knew that I wanted this time to be different. So first of all, I found a doula, and not one, but a team, two, Heidi and Colin. Yeah. So that was check one on getting the support system that I knew that I needed. Second was I knew I wanted to take a pregnancy class. And I remember when I was pregnant with little Roman that I saw something about hypno babies. And I remember being a little intrigued, but a little freaked out and creeped out at the same time. I was like, hypnotized. I don't want to be hypnotized. Like, I feel like it's common to be afraid of hypnosis. Because we feel like, oh, we're not in control. We're losing some sort of control. But I did decide to look it, look it up. It, so there's a difference between hypnobabies and hypnobirthing. I ended up going with hypnobabies. And I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the difference right now. But I went with hypnobabies because I really liked the like eyes open childbirth hypnosis. Mm -hmm. So it, it retrains your subconscious mind to think feel that contractions in labor are really being perceived by the body as pressure or squeezing sensations, which our bodies can handle or our bodies are used to and pushing or pulling are actually normal movements instead of something different is happening. This is scary. I need help. So, um, and then I did also like that hypno babies is known for shorter and easier and more comfortable births. So I really liked that aspect of hypno babies. But so like I was saying, they retrain your subconscious with audio tracks um, and hypnosis therapies. And honestly, you're not being hypnotized. It's retraining your brain. So when you listen to, I am powerful every single day for six months, you're going to feel like a freaking beast. You are going to be powerful because you've told yourself for six months, every single day, how powerful you are. So now these are full tracks. It's not just I'm powerful on repeat. So 
No, they're I'm long too. They're like, they're yeah. pages and pages long. So yes. Teresa's doulas, myself and Colin are certified hypno babies doulas. So we are also trained to like provide these scripts to our clients. Um, partners can provide the scripts. They can also listen to the, the audio tracks if you want to do it yourself. It is a little bit different than hypno birding, which is more like deep guided relaxation techniques. Um, this is, like you said, hypno babies is train retraining the brain and the mind yes. with, with specific and cues too, like the cue for peace or the cue to relax. Like, so they are like, um, types of cues that you would use for hypnosis, but we're not actually like hypnotizing anyone. Yes. It's more like a gentle reminder. So again, after six months of remembering like gently place a shoulder or your hand on the pregnant person's shoulder and remind them to relax. It really like taps into that and your body knows to relax. It's not just like you being like, Hey, relax. And that kind of, I don't know. Anytime anyone tells me to relax, I'm like, I'm not relaxed now. I might have been, but I am not now. Don't tell me to relax. But this is like your body knows to like relax. So I think that was really important. And Heidi did an awesome job during my actual, now that we're in my hypno baby stage, my birthing time. Mm -hmm. So there's certain language. Yes. Like pressure wave instead of contraction, um, birthing time instead of labor. Part of retraining the brain is really using that positive language of these things are normal sensations in the body and that the body is very capable of handling each one of those things. Yes. And I do, we'll talk about this later, but in my Etsy store, I have a hypno guide for anybody taking hypno babies that has all of like the birth language. It's kind of like a at a glance sheet for any supporting persons during labor or birthing time that they want to be able to support their partner or be able to remember how to support them if they are having a a hypnosis birth. Mm -hmm. And in Teresa's Etsy store that we will link and talk about in a minute, um, she also has really beautiful birth plan templates. So that was something that was different for this birth as well, that you had major notebooks, you had so many templates, every type of birth plan from a cesarean section to a spontaneous labor to an induction of labor. You had newborn care, you had like a to-do list for big Roman, you had these beautiful (laughs) templates. And uh, many of them you can find in Teresa's Etsy store. But let's circle back to now. Like now let's go back to like we're in the exam room. The doctor's removing that cerclage. And she's like, okay, probably within 48 hours you're going to have a baby. And then what happened? (laughs) So I went home for the weekend and anticipated having a baby for two days. And then I had to go to work on Monday, which they at that point told me to work from home. So for the next 18 days I sat in anticipation waiting for this baby to come um on day 18 was my birthing time yes 18 days was a very long time for Teresa thinking she was about to have a baby at any moment so um 
it's just another reminder that data is just data is just data and it's just not applied to any one person. So like, sure, the majority of people may have gone into their birthing time within 48 hours, but that doesn't mean everybody's going to. Many people who have to have a surclage in order to prevent preterm labor will then go on to an induction even. So um, don't put yourself into a box or try not to was the lesson there. Um, but Teresa, you really did eventually you kind of relaxed and was like this baby's never coming and I'm I think you were almost happy to be um to continue to stay pregnant honestly is what it felt like that as long as you could you wanted to carry as long as possible that was my goal and that's why I waited to get the surclage out for another week just because I really wanted the baby to be full term I definitely got there I got I went over 40 weeks so I felt good in knowing that my baby was fully cooked. Yes. Now, how did you know you were in your birthing time? So I remember reaching out to you and we determined that it was prodromal labor, but I remember feeling cramps for a few days leading up to the actual birthing day. But at around six in the morning, so I went to bed at night at around six in the morning. I woke up with a very strong period feeling cramp and I kind of knew that it was different. It, it was not a bird Braxton Hicks. It was not, you know, a small pressure wave from like the prodromal. It was different. It was, it was intentional. Like my body was like, we're doing something today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're getting you ready. So I kind of knew I did decide to lay in bed for a little bit and just relax. I had called big Roman on the phone. He was not at the house right then. So I told him like, Hey, very calmly. I told him extremely calmly. I said, Hey, when do you think you're, you're going to be here? Okay. Well, I think today is the day I'm having some pressure waves that feel a little more intentional. I'm going to get in the bath. So I get in the bathtub, which was important to me to be able to have some um, bath time because I was so determined when I was at Baby & Co. during my birth with Little Roman that I was going to give birth in that bathtub. I didn't get any bathtub time. So I was like, I want to be pregnant in uh, in labor, for lack of better words, or for those not familiar with hypnobabies, that I wanted to labor in a bathtub. So... I did. I got in my bathtub. I kept the lights out. I think I lit a a small candle, a little tea candle. And I just laid in the bathtub, very calm. I put on my hypnosis tracks, which was track for actual, like, it's your birthing time. And I remember it starting out as like, congratulations, you're going into your birthing time. And I was like, yeah, that's right. It's a celebration. Congratulations. Like I felt so empowered right off the bat, like not alert, alert. You're about to have a baby. You need to rush and, you know, be scared and like fear factor. So I remember just feeling like peaceful and relaxed and serene in the bathtub. And I text Heidi I can't remember what time I texted you, but I was like, yeah, maybe can you be here around like 10 or 11? I think I said, right, Heidi? You did have, it was very interesting because I remember there was like a specific time and I wasn't used (laughs) to that. I was used to like people in my life, people are like, yeah, yeah, I'll let you know when I need you. But Teresa like kind of knew 
I think you knew I already need help, but I just want to be alone a little bit longer. So you had given me like a, I'm going to be alone in the bathtub for a little bit. And why don't you arrive at this time? And I was like, okay, perfect. (laughs) That's so funny. Yes. I knew that I wanted you and I didn't want to either wait too long because I listened to, you know, in your Wednesday night monthly calls, like I'd listen to other women be like, I kept telling her to come later. Like I was fine. And then they end up having the baby and you didn't even make it there or Colin didn't make it. (laughs) Because of denial. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted you there. So that's why I was like 10, let's do 10. And I definitely did want to enjoy my birthing time in the bathtub. I wanted to really like be in the water with myself. Um, And it was so healing. And I just remember feeling so calm, which was, I keep repeating that because it was such a contrast to how I felt at the start of my birthing time before. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I arrived, I believe you were still in the bathtub and you had this beautiful visioning board out and um, you did have your uh, like earbuds in. So I wasn't quite like, I knew you were listening to your tracks, but like I couldn't hear them. (laughs) So trying to like, you know, I wanted to like not interrupt your piece, but not knowing exactly where you were at in the scripts too. And, um, and then it, it was, you know, our energy connected, uh, big Roman was get making sure little Roman was taken care of and you just continued to labor quite, you know, quite beautifully. Um, so how did the rest of the labor go from your perspective? So I do want to add when you got there, you came into the bathroom. I was sitting on the toilet in a robe and you just gave me the biggest, gentlest, kindest hug. And it was a hug for like 10 seconds, but it felt like a hundred years because it was exactly the medicine that I needed in the time. So I do want to say that for anybody like looking to hire, you know, Heidi and Colin, or even just looking for a doula, like having that component of like, Hey, I'm here for you. And I'm here now was just like the medicine, you know, but so anyways, back to your, what you said, Heidi. So I remember us doing positions on the bed. So I did have my hypnosis tracks in and it was kind of just background noise. Um, and you were instructing me on, you know, getting the baby deeper. So we did some like sideline at first. I remember that. I remember you inviting little Roman in to like hold my hand and like he put his hand on his little hand on my head and just like, again, bringing that peace factor in like my family is here, you know, we're supporting you. So we did some sideline. We did some squatting on my yoga ball and then the the worst thing in the world was, was it off the bed, like full-blown squats? Yeah. Do you remember that one? Yeah. We did some exaggerated sideline releases and an exaggerated runner's pose on the side of the bed. And, um, that just kind of really, because I had had a glimpse at Teresa's cervix also. We knew the baby was very low. So it was just kind of getting more constant applied pressure to the cervix. I knew it wasn't going to take very long. Um, and then, you know, it, uh, the squats, the deep squats are sometimes the test, right? Like 
it was are we there or are we not there and so um we got Teresa and I got Teresa into a deep squat hanging off the side of the bed and you were like starting to roar like yes whoa (laughs) yes I was definitely again I felt power and in control but I was like this is intense, but I was able to breathe through it because again, I had the mental component. I am powerful and I felt it. And, you know, I have the support of somebody who knows what they're doing. I'm not in danger. I am in a safe space when being guided by somebody who has my best interests at heart. So if we did need to go, we would go because Heidi could determine that. Um, so she did let me, um, enjoy some of my birthing time at home for a little bit. I remember after doing the exaggerated lunges, going to sit on the toilet because I started to feel like I needed to (laughs) use the bathroom Um, or poop, you know? So I did go sit on the toilet and I remember Heidi coming in and being like, okay, it's looking like it's getting close to your birthing time. And I am afraid that if we stay here any longer, we might end up having the baby at home on accident which was not my birth plan. I did not plan to have a home birth. I planned to labor at home as long as possible and then go to uh, the hospital. Mm -hmm. So with Heidi's expert opinion, I respected that and agreed that it's feeling like baby's in the canal at this point. So Heidi ended up taking off first. You know, she wanted to get there to get everyone prepared. So I think maybe four minutes later, we were in the car. And I was in the back seat on my hands and knees, which was Heidi's recommendation, while Roman drove the car. And that's when stuff got really intense. Like, I'm not even kidding. As soon as Heidi left the door, I I, like the um, birthing ways or contractions got really intense. And so when I got in the car, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in transition. Um, And I remember Heidi, we set up a code word which was pizza man. I don't remember that, but that's amazing. (laughs) Yes. Our code word was pizza man. And my thinking of was like delivery, right? So if I wanted an epidural, then it was pizza man because like I'm changing my birthing language to delivery, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of birthing time. So it was funny, but that was my reasoning. (laughs) So I kept saying on my hands and knees in the backseat of the car as Roman's like making these turns and like, I'm like trying to hold onto the seat buckle to just stay in place. But I'm like, in my head, I'm like, pizza man, pizza man, pizza man. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I needed to say it because that was like, nobody could hear me. And like, I wasn't giving up, but I was saying it, right? Mm -hmm. Um. But when we got to the hospital, you know, you park at the triage, like a quick entrance into labor and delivery. And we were trying to go in the exit door. And it's kind of weird at our hospital, but you have to go up that ramp to get inside. And then like the two double doors are the exit doors. So we're like trying to peel open the exit doors. And this lady rushes out with a wheelchair. She's like, is she, is she in labor? And Roman of course is like, yeah, she's in labor. So they put me in the wheelchair. I get on it on my hands and knees. Cause like, I can't sit on my butt at this point. Like there's just no way. So we get into the elevator and I think that's, is that where we meet up with you, Heidi? It's a little blurry, but yeah, somewhere, somewhere from the parking yeah. garage 
I kind of remember the um, I kind of remember the door incident. So but okay. yeah, somewhere, but somewhere around there, we we ended up going in together. So yes, yes, and I remember that. I remember getting checked in, and again, I was going through contractions on my hands and knees in this wheelchair, and. I'm in transition in this wheelchair. So like the contractions, the birthing waves are really intense. They're long, strong, and close together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I remember shouting out, I was like, or not shouting, like I was concerned, but I was calmly letting you guys know that I was ready to push. And if I was not in a bed, this baby was going to be born in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you, I remember you, Heidi, were like, okay, she's ready to push. Like, we need to get her into a room. And I don't think they were quite ready for a room yet. But I remember them being able to quickly find one. We get in there and I'm like, I'm pushing like in the chair. And so like, I'm not getting up at this point. Like, this is my home now. I live in this chair. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've set up a permanent residence. And you guys are trying to get me out. I'm like gripped onto the back, you know, breathing, listening to my hypnosis tracks, my, um, you know, and like, kind of like my body is doing it. Like I'm not doing it. I'm not pushing. My body is like surge pressure wave. And so I'm just breathing through it, but you guys did end up getting me out. You guys got me undressed. So I was now on my hands and knees on the table or the bed just a bed <laughs> and <laughs> because it was so flat yeah I, I don't know why I thought it was a table <laughs> you guys got me into the bed and I remember you holding my hand up at my head Roman holding my other hand and you guys I remember you specifically were like can someone put on her pushing track which I'm in my birthing time I would have forgotten so I appreciate you remembering that because that was important for me and hypno babies so you guys put on my, my pushing track and you are giving me water, which I couldn't tell you that I would have needed. Like I, that wasn't even in my birth plan, but you were giving me water and a straw and it was life. Like that cold water, like charged me. You have a portable fan, which again, I'm like, this is medicine. Um, and I am pushing this baby out. So you're coaching me on that. And then the, it was in my birth plan to have Roman catch the baby. And also we were waiting to find out the sex of the baby. So that was another like big thing that I wanted Roman to be able to announce big Roman. So I remember you instructing him like Roman, it's time. Like the baby is starting to come out, like go down there. You're going to catch the baby. And he like full on, like the doctor grabbed his hands. The baby's head was coming out, put his hands on the head and guided his hands on where to gently, you know, guide the baby out. And with my final push, I pushed the rest of the baby out. I remember looking down between my legs and before Roman even announced it, I just saw these baby like private parts and like, oh, look bald. <laughs> I was like, okay, it's a boy, but I was so exhausted. I was ready to like just collapse on the bed. I was like, you can hold the baby. I need a minute. Yeah. And it was very fast. So where your first was 24 hours, this Mm -hmm. was, what time was this in the afternoon now? Like 
1.30, I gave birth. Yeah. So Oh, wait, was it 1.30 or 12.30? Yeah, it was 1.30. Sorry. So less than six hours. But for those of you listening, you have to remember, Teresa had already had a thin, open cervix to four centimeters. So that kind of takes like a long time of labor. And she had already done all that without being in labor. So less than six hours, which is why it's really important. If you want to stay at home as long as possible, you have to have an experienced doula by your side so that you're not, you know, birth is unpredictable. It could happen anyway, but like, you know, so that you're not accidentally having a a free birth at home if that's not your plan. So um, I don't remember when your water broke. That's what I was trying to think. When did your water? It actually broke during pushing. And that was actually the same with my first both broke during pushing. Yeah. And I think when we were at home, that was what my thinking was, was Teresa, if your water breaks, the baby's going to follow behind like immediately. (laughs) And so like we should probably, you know, get going and and we had enough time to like get there ish and get settled ish and, you know, do the things. Um, and you had, it was such a beautiful birth. Um, and you really, the message of hypno babies really came all the way forward. Um, in your birth, you, not everyone executes hypno babies, uh, the way that you did so beautifully. And, um, I'm just really proud of you for everything that you like all three, experiences that you shared about um kind of it just you just kept growing and growing and growing as a mother um and then I don't know if you're gonna have any more children but there was a you know there's this you're kind of standing on the top of the mountain looking at the beautiful view right yes yes and it did and I feel like yes my birth did go a little bit more to plan than it did with my first but I had told myself, even if I end up getting an epidural, even if I have a C-section, I was prepared for that. And, you know, your prompting and your guides really helped me just mentally prepare that anything can happen. Whereas with my Bradley doula training, we didn't really prepare for that. You were going to have an unmedicated natural childbirth. And that was the plan. There was no alternative. And you reminded me and showed me that it was okay. Like, if you need a C-section, that's okay. We have a plan for that. It's X, Y, and Z. I'm going to be by your side the whole time. So I really felt just supported in every aspect, whether it was going to be the one that I wanted or we were going to have to deviate from the plan. Yeah. And what I really appreciate about your birthing location, since you did have to go away from Baby & Co., is that the hospital system here really supported uh, me and Colin as your doulas to be part of all of the things from anesthesia, if needed, triage, surclage, uh, putting in a surclage, removing a surclage, like um, some of the big hospital systems, um, like the ones here in Charlotte, North Carolina, namely Novant is what we're talking about. They're really making big strides to support um, continuous labor support for birthing persons and support throughout the pregnancy, um, throughout support throughout losses throughout the postpartum period um, by making doulas part of the team. And so I'm really glad that like the, you got a little bit of that since you've given birth, it's um, 
like you sort of paved the way, right? Because the next cerclage, I was able to go to the cerclage in the OR, not just the removal of. Um, so every single thing is helping the next person that births behind you. Teresa, before we go, could you just let the audience know how to get a hold of you and how to look at your birth plan templates and your hypnobabies guides on your Etsy store? Absolutely. So my store on Etsy is called TK Stitch You Need. And right now I'm offering my birthing templates. It's really a passion of mine to be able to help and educate women on organizing their birth plan, whether it's for that unnatural or unnatural, that natural (laughs) unmedicated birth that they wanted, or they're going to end up with a C-section or if they plan for a C-section, you still want a guide and you still want to be able to orchestrate and help guide your birthing partners and your friends and family. So I think it's essential for any birthing that you have a great and comprehensive and quick at a glance guide. So I like to be able to help women with that. And I will also be starting to offer some tangible items that will provide like cozy comforts. So like herbal eye pillows and comfort measures for pregnancy and pregnant women or postpartum stages. So for birth story podcast listeners, you actually get 10% off with using code birth story at Teresa's Etsy store. Yes. And I'm really excited. So please visit my Etsy store. Yeah. Thank you so much, Teresa, for being on. Thank you for your vulnerability, for sharing about how that first experience went, which is just really, really common for first-time birthing persons to for fear to just kind of overwhelm us and really how you regained your power back. And I think so many people are going to be able to learn from you today. So thanks for being on. Thank you so much, Heidi. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.